0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Salty Pastor Podcast. I'm Jesse Mayer, and I want to welcome you to a podcast designed to help you in two very specific ways. First, our goal is to give you a deeper understanding of the Bible. Every Tuesday is a deep dive on a particular passage or passages in the Bible. The more you listen, the longer you listen, the more you're going to understand about the Bible. Second, when you really begin to study the Bible, you begin to understand that the Bible is a story about you and God. It talks about Jesus, who he is, what he is attempting to do in this world, and it talks about what Jesus says about you, who you are and what you need in order to discover your true self and what the purpose of your life is. Let's welcome our very own Salty Pastor, Dr. Douglas Peake.
1: I just want to thank you everyone for being here with us today. It's good to be sharing with you and talking. We got a really great uh, podcast today. I think it's going to be pretty exciting. Ooh, he's excited coming in. All right. Well, we're currently in a study on the book of
0: Galatians. Paul wrote this letter to uh, a group of people who he had felt had lost their direction. Mm-hmm. They no longer believed that the faith in Jesus was enough, and they were following a false teaching. Therefore, the letter Paul wrote them was to help them get back on track mm-hmm. and no longer be influenced by this teaching.
1: You know, I think it seems that uh, even though he's making a very technical argument for these people about the law and faith, the underlying principle is really powerful because to me, it seems that many people have lost their way. They need encouragement to get back on track. The, the one downside of affluence, you know, when everything is going well is that we we can kind of lose our way you know mm. and then we kind of just start adopting anything and everything we just try this or that or the other as human beings and you see that in our culture our culture in general over the last uh, 35 to 40 years has tried to convince people that uh, jesus is completely irrelevant uh there's an organization called the uh, people for the freedom from religion they're goals to have a completely secular society and their point has been and is kind of been picked up as a virtue from the media is that you have the freedom to believe whatever you believe just do it in the privacy of your home don't bring it into the public square Mm. which of course is a very is the violation of our constitutional rights right you know right off the bat but what happens is if you live in a way where your life has no spiritual significant uh, significance, your wants become the most important thing in your life, and then your truth becomes the most important truth. It's a it's a philosophical solipsism, and that is is that since I can't verify you even existing under this premise. Then what you really want, what you really care about is really pretty irrelevant because my truth is so important. I, I couldn't think if you're a married person, uh, the quickest way to get divorced is to live with that f- secular philosophy. Well, my truth is the most important. I'm going to pursue my truth.
0: And it doesn't matter what your truth is. I'm just going to. Yeah. Do
1: it. Yeah. Uh, it, your your truth is irrelevant. Um, but the downside of it is this way is what if your truth is to be a person that is codependent on other people. That's a that's a bad place to be, right? Right. So you see both sides of that coin all come down to the fact that you've put yourself in the center of your universe. You see? So either you become entrapped as a victim or you become disconnected because of arrogance. And so that's kind of what our world has produced. And you look around you, you know, I talk to young ladies who want to get married and they're, they're always saying the same thing. And that is, is, that, is there a guy out there who's not a narcissist? And I talk to young men who want to get married and they say, is there a woman out there who's not a narcissist? And it just seems to me that... Uh, either we've just gotten so comfortable throwing that word around, or there's an issue of people finding other people that are, truly care about others right. <laughs> in an authentic way. I think that's what our culture is producing. More and more people in our society live alone. More and more people in our society uh, in the, as adults are single. Um, I think that is an outflow of these philosophical things. Jesus is irrelevant. God's irrelevant. Your truth is the most important. Your wants are the most important. And so the end result is thinking and living this way turns us, I believe, into weaker people. Mm. You know, when people lose their way, they become weaker people, not stronger people. Uh, people are constantly being offended. Everyone feels like a victim. And as a matter of fact, it's interesting to me today to see people publicly try to compete for how big of a victim they are you know i find that really interesting <laughs> i've been hurt this way and yeah.
0: my hurt is bigger than your hurt yeah and- oh
1: yeah well this happened to me and this too and this too right <laughs> and i'm also this ethnic group and everything else that makes my you know problems even worse you know kind of a thing and it's like competing for who can be the most victimized It, it it, it, it it teaches you that you have zero control over your life. It's about weakness, laziness, irresponsibility, everything that makes your life miserable. Uh, it's now become accepted in American Christianity. you know? Uh, whole churches were built a- around this model. Now, I believe there's a great sifting happening in the American church right now. Just in the churches, not just our culture. I mean, obviously in our society and culture, it's really up in the air right now, but in the church itself. And that is, is that what people are realizing shallow Christianity doesn't work. Fluff is not enough. When it comes to the real challenges in life, people are asking questions and they really are discovering, I need to be a stronger person. I want to be a stronger person. I, I don't want to live like a victim because that's just depression and anxiety galore. I want to be more courageous. I want to know the point and purpose of my life. So I'm concerned about people who have lost their way and seeking encouragement to get back on track.
0: Well, chapter three and four of Galatians, which we've been working our way through in this series, are definitely linked together uh, in one argument, and this mm-hmm. argument is kind of directed towards refuting the argument of the Judaizers and their demand that you convert to Judaism in order to follow Jesus. Yes. We don't have a lot of people making this argument in today's world. (laughs) No, we don't. (laughs) Therefore, what are the underlying principles he's giving us, and how do those principles apply to us and our world today?
1: Yeah, well, three and four are linked, you know, is one long argument. And verse uh, one of chapter three starts the argument by saying, you foolish Galatians, Galatians, who has bewitched you? In other words, who has tricked you and got you off track? And what I think this underlying principle is, when it comes to the ultimate truth, you need to choose really well. Make sure you're not bewitched. This is called a worldview. Now, we might call it a view of reality. And that is, well, what exactly exists? How do you know what exists? As Morpheus asks Neo, do you think that is air that you are breathing? <laughs> do you remember that? That is that's You a pulse. you love you love movie references, I don't do you? I do love the movie references. <laughs> so, you know, the next question is is okay, do you it's not just the material world, how do you know it exists? Do you exist? How do you know that there's a Jesse. How do I know there's a Doug? How do I know that there is a you that is listening to the salty pastor right now? Atheists certainly don't believe this. Uh, Sam Harris wrote a book called free will. And his point is, is that, yeah, you don't have free will. You don't have that at all. You're in a closed system. He's a naturalist. There is no spiritual, there is no sentience. And so the you that is you doesn't exist. It's a figment of your imagination that you create in your brain, according to him in his book, Free Will. Uh, uh, it's, it's a nice illusion, but it's just an illusion nonetheless. But that's a big question. Do you actually exist and how do you know? What does it mean to be a human being? Do, do human beings need love? Hmm. You know, uh, Do they need affirmation? Do human beings need a sense that their life means something? Which leads to a deeper question. Do you have a soul? or not. See, this all comes down to what is your worldview? What is your view of reality and who you are as a human being? According to atheists, you don't have a soul. And since you don't have a soul, technically you don't need love or affirmation or a sense of that life means anything. Dillahunty, Dawkins, Hitchens, Harris, uh, You know, Bill Maher, these guys are all atheists. And so they obviously, they don't think that. And they talk about how they believe these things. Is there a God? I mean, if you have a soul, is there a God? And how do you know there's a God? Can you discover God? And so when you come to verse seven of uh, chapter three, you realize Paul's vision of reality is this. There is a God, you have a soul, and the ultimate reality is you were created to be in relationship with him. Listen to what he says. You're no longer a slave, meaning to religious ceremonies, but you are God's Child, And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. So you're an heir to everything. The inheritance, every spiritual blessing in heaven, God created us. He has a, uh, we're part of his family. When we seek redemption through faith in Jesus Christ this is a critical point. And that means in the world in which you live, God is saying this world is real. It it, it was created and it is real. It's tangibly real. You are real. You are a real person. Your heart and your mind matter. Your life has value. Good things in life are good for you and bad things, when they happen, hurt you, right? They hurt your soul. And so ultimately, this means the reality in which you live. You can choose the atheistic worldview, which says you don't have a soul, well, if you don't have a soul, you you know love, affirmation, value—all of these things are completely irrelevant. As a matter of fact, you don't even have free will. So that's pretty cray cray, as my daughter would say. I think that's short for crazy crazy. Yes. Is that is that how that works? Yes. Okay. So it's pretty cray cray. And um, you could, if you choose God, what you're saying is that look, my life has value, and so my choices make a difference. I have free will, morals are critical to the feeding and health of my soul. Love, forgiveness, redemption, second chances, all of the things that we really celebrate and think are virtuous are only possible. They are only possible if you believe you're a real person in a real world. One of the things that really drives me crazy is these young unsophisticated atheists who get on YouTube these young guys and talk about all they do is they just criticize the church and then say oh so I'm an atheist they never ever engage with the implications of what they believe right, right? They, they never it's ever, easier
0: to break down someone else's yeah. argument rather than actually yep. support your post-modern own
1: postmodern deconstructionism all, you know to prove I'm right all I gotta do is show how you're wrong which of course is silly you know your five year old says no you're not the boss of me okay okay Okay. i guess i'm gonna go now (laughs) bye you're in charge (laughs) yeah it's just silly it's intellectually dishonest it's immature it's amateur and when you use these arguments these guys just show that they're a bunch of pompous arrogant sniveling brats is that salty enough for you?
0: I think that's good. Okay. We're hitting our salt. We need a salty meter. <laughs> a salty <on>
1: meter. That. <laughs> yes. The salty meter is going up. Paul's principle here is that you need to choose how your life will be justified. And what he means by that is how do you know that you're standing upright? How do you know who you are? How do you know you're valued and affirmed and your life has meaning? It means something because there are only two options out there. You can try and justify yourself, which is a form of atheism, or you can do it through faith in Jesus Christ.
0: Well, it seems to me that if more people really thought about the point and purpose of their life, they would be less influenced by all this crazy stuff that's going out in the world today. Like if they took the time to actually sit down and think about it, if Mm -hmm. they weren't so wrapped up in their phones or hustling or trying to do the next thing in their life, if they took some time to think... They would go, Oh, I think I might be taking a wrong turn at Albert. And I know
1: why and I know why my life is such a mess or such a train wreck or I'm I'm not satisfied or happy with my life. I have no happiness, I have no joy, I have no roots, I have no connections, I have no love. You know, uh, this is why a biblical worldview is so important. It leads to the next principle in verse 17 of chapter four, where Paul says this, the people out there are zealous to win you over, but to do it for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. And so like I was just talking about these guys on YouTube and other people, uh, they're postmodern deconstructionists. It's a way of thinking. And so they've convinced themselves if all I got to do is show an imperfection out there in your position, then that means I'm right. Which of course is really kind of silly when you think about it. Right. What do you believe then? Or what are the implications of your belief? And how do you know you're right? You know, kind of a thing. And so uh, the second principle here is that everyone telling you who you are and how you should live has an agenda. All right, everyone does. You have an agenda when you tell yourself how to live everybody does. The issue is, is do the people who tell you you have an agenda, even when you're telling yourself, do you admit that you have an agenda about your own life? Now, in this situation, the primary way that these people were trying to get the Galatians to follow them was an ad hominem attack and that means they attacked Paul's character, not what he was saying, whether it was true or not. And what you see today in postmodern deconstructionism in our culture today, you see it in the media, you see it in movies, and, and that is an ad hominem attack on Jesus and or his people. So something that is really interesting that has happened to me is this, is, you know, I, I like watching movies, I like reading, I li- like all this stuff. And one of the things that I noticed, I was watching some TV show um, on Amazon Prime last night, I just just noticed how in this movie, whenever someone wanted to communicate contempt or they wanted to cuss, it was fascinating to me that they always said, Jesus Christ. So so we live in a culture now that has turned the name of our Lord and Messiah into a swear word, okay? So that is called an ad hominem attack. Paul shows how they attacked him personally in order to undermine the truth of his position. Today, it's important to note that secular movements and ideologies seek to zealously win people over by alienating them from God. You know, in politics, one of the most important things that's happened is that if we can get enough people to vote for us, one of the ways we're going to do it is by denigrating, denigrating the church. And these people are religious nuts in what they believe. This is a common thing in politics, you know. Painting the other side is some type of religious fanatic. Uh, the other ways in which our society is doing it is Very early on Uh, right now, requiring all boys to adopt feminist ideologies, which states that in third wave feminism, which is the ideology they're being taught to uh, adopt in schools, is that all masculinity is toxic. Now, is there an agenda there? Obviously, obviously, you know. um, So I was listening to this gal talk about she's trying to coach guys in how to attract women right or right. meet girls or whatever and she says this she goes the most attractive thing about a guy is confidence not arrogance just confidence so what's the opposite of confidence for a young man it's in security okay so if i had an agenda as a third wave feminist i would want the schools to teach that everything about you as a male that's masculine is toxic so that guy's going to grow up and he's going to be when it comes particularly to women what's he going to be
0: constantly insecure insecure about how he's supposed
1: to be act who he is yeah and so now you know I believe that the world is real. I believe that you are real. I appreciate that. (laughs) I'm real. I believe that human beings are real. Therefore, they have a soul. And because they have a soul, they need love. They need uh, affirmation. They need a sense that their life means something. And feminism that is being taught in our schools as young as first grade to first grade boys And this is all you can document this very, very easily uh, are being taught that being a boy is toxic. So they grow up and now you have all of these women going, why can't I find a guy that I'm attracted to?
0: Well, and I think it's almost swung so hard, very similar to our politics, where it's like Mm -hmm. you're either completely insecure and you're not masculine at all because you don't that's what you've been taught or that's what everyone's kind of pigeonholed you into or you swing to the complete opposite side where you're overly toxic because you're like well i'm just gonna be the man that every girl wants or you know yeah i'm just gonna act like that guy in the movie a pompous arrogant yeah the the crazy gym rat like swole bro that's just and then that's the other version of masculinity that the girls are getting which is you know, why can't I find this guy that's not a narcissist, who's not a complete jerk and all of this thing. So it's like, it's like, there's no middle ground anymore because (laughs) of what the culture's teaching men.
1: Yeah. There's people that at its very early core. And here's, here is one of the biggest fallacies out there. And there are a lot of Christian women who believe this. And that is, is that the church is anti-women and i think that is the biggest deception out there if you're a female and you've met jesus christ then and and you believe that his church is some type of patriarchal oppressor of women then you haven't met jesus mm. you know you you are completely deceived by the secular world because christianity has 2,000 years of historical record of being one of the most affirming and uplifting and protective forces for women. Uh, For thousands of years, women found protection where? Not in secular movements or military movements. They found it by going into the church. They found it by going into uh, nunneries and and they found it in the protection of all these things that's what you wanted what's really fascinating is even Uh, Darwin talked about this you know in one of his books there was an article denigrating the church missionary efforts out there and he says look you know the guy Charles Darwin father of Darwinian evolution and all the birth of secularism and so forth he said he wrote back in this article and had it posted in the op-ed page there in England and he says look you guys are crazy he goes, I've been out there. And if your, your boat ever springs a leak and you wash up on a shore, you'll be very blessed to notice that there's a building with a cross on the top of it. <laughs> Otherwise, you're more likely to be killed or eaten. Right. <laughs> so so that's really critical, important. In Nevada today, there is a charter school that is teaching children critical race Theory and these young children are being taught that they need to embrace their privilege and all of these I mean this is these people have an agenda and they have to specifically attack Christianity undermine Christianity because that you have to alienate people and this is a Marxist technique this is Karl Marx taught this Lenin practiced this And that is we first have to alienate people from faith, from any type of religion, so that they become malleable into what we how we would like to program them. This is exactly what the Judaizers were trying to do. Uh, Just recently, you know, uh, President Biden has signed a bunch of executive orders. That's his prerogative. He's the president. Right. Right. And I think that people have a lot of feelings about all the things, but there's one that has really concerned me. And it's the one that says any institution, business or organization in America that receives any type of federal funding. So that can be translated as far as if you get a tax break, that's a form of federal funding. Mm -hmm. So this thing can, Legally, you can push it as far as you want. You just have to have some really aggressive lawyers, okay? And this executive order says if you receive any type of federal funding, you must allow students or young people who consider themselves to be of a different gender in how they were born biologically and in one area to specifically compete with their new identity group. So basically what this means is that if you're a male, you're born a male, right? You can now compete at every level in sports with female athletes. And all the science says overwhelmingly that testosterone, and you and I have talked about this a little bit in the past, testosterone is first flooded into the fetus or the baby at like six weeks, yeah, you know, early. very early. And at that moment you have a biological advantage physically over females from just early on. And then it just keeps happening. So the notion that you're going to suppress testosterone for a year and erase any advantage is ridiculous. It's scientifically absurd. right? And so, the, these, this is what is happening. And why do they want to do this in our schools? Why do they want to do this is because our society is trying to tell everyone who they are and who they should be. And they do this by first demonizing people who hold to a more traditional or a a virtuous or a biblical worldview. And then once they demonize you into something you're not, which is called a straw man argument and logic, it's a logical fallacy. Then they try to replace it with this new thing. So it's behavioral modification. It's social engineering. And people should really be concerned uh, about it. And we see it happening more and more and more i got more things about the new sex education curriculums down in california i've got you know there's all of this is easily documentable provable fact so um
0: so this can be obviously very discouraging for (laughs) people as they try and navigate all these challenges i mean it's just like a whirlwind and what are your thoughts for those who may be a little discouraged right now?
1: <laughs> Excellent question. You, did you feel maybe I oversalted the meal today? No, I don't
0: think it's <laughs> oversalt. I think it's just like it's bringing those things to the forefront.
1: Yeah. Well, I, that's a very good question. And I'd like to say this. Okay. Satan has, it's a, uh, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter six, uh, verse 10 and following him. When he talks about the armor of God, he says that, you know, Satan has a tried and true method you know, which are called the schemes of the devil. And this, this method is called the game of discouragement. A discouraged athlete on the playing field is a defeated athlete. It doesn't matter if you're stronger, faster, or better. If you're discouraged, you are defeated. Therefore, the primary goal, I think, of Satan's method right now is to discourage you by deceiving you, like culturally, Do you live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation? Absolutely you do. (laughs) If you're a parent or a grandparent and you see your children or grandchildren growing up in this culture, you're rightfully really pretty concerned. I mean, you're like, oh my goodness. However, I'd like to tell you, don't be discouraged. God has not abandoned you. Jesus has an opportunity this moment to do his best work in your life, the best work in your life family's life. Uh, your church community is now more important than ever. You know, the best way to reach family members or neighbors or friends who are on the fence about God and, and Jesus, uh, maybe on the fence about whether they should even go to church, is to ask them, "What where, where are you going to go in order to counter all of this crazy, secular, atheistic worldview, because this is where it ends up. Where are you going to go to counter all that? It, it, when it, where are you going to go when your granddaughter comes home and and tells you, you know, hey, grandpa, you know, uh, gender is a social construct, and, you know, you have all this privilege because of this, that, and the other, and you're thinking, dude, I started a company, and I worked my rear end off and sacrifice so that you could have a better life so that the school system could tell you that I'm the problem with America. Right. (laughs) You know, uh, this is a great time to say, well, where are you going to go? Tell your friends, where are you going to go to be taught what's happening? Where are you going to go to understand it and then counter it with truth and justice and liberty and honesty and courage and faith. You, You know, um, This new stuff is being taught. Like I said before, the new curriculum that was passed by the state legislature in California is frightening when it comes to sex ed. It really is. And uh, when people dig into that in the public school system, which is mandated to be taught, you're going to be shocked. You're going to be shocked. There's a new book out by a gal by the name of Abigail Shire. And it just talks about the the big shift in transgenderism. See, transgenderism used to be just pretty much. I like ninety some percent of it was boys wanting to be girls, right? Right. Ninety seven percent were boys who wanted to present as girls. And what's interesting is over ninety percent of those boys, when puberty hit, grew out of that, right? Well, today, the number one group of transgender issues revolves around girls wanting to present as boys. Right. And and so she dug into this. And what's really fascinating is she is not a conservative person. She's not a Christian person. She considers herself a progressive liberal person. Right. And she dug into this. And what she wrote and found out is astonishing at the level of recruitment and what can go on. And that is your daughter can go see a school counselor and in 20 minutes that counselor, without your knowledge, can end up with your daughter getting, you know, uh, hormone blockers and even have surgeries. And you have nothing to say about it as a parent. And, And this should frighten every adult you know, because that is not, that is not honest or truthful at all. But I, so culturally, I understand why you're concerned. I understand why you're worried, but don't be discouraged. Your faith, knowing what you believe and why you believe it is more important now than ever before. You have an opportunity to be a light in the midst of a raging cultural storm piercing the darkness and other people can see and look and find safe harbor because you're shining the light simply because your culture no longer supports your values. You no longer have the option of leaving the church as an optional choice in your life. Uh, we have to come together as followers of Jesus, because what's on the line here is not just, oh, you like this. And I like that. It's not preferences. What's on the line here is the ultimate definition of reality and secularism and moral relativism and all this postmodern deconstructionist, neo-Marxism, all of this kind of stuff that I reference has in no way it It ends up an absolute destruction of any society And this has been historically proven over and over again. I challenge anybody to find me an illustration in history where this has not been the case. So when it comes to your culture, don't give up. Don't give up. Find a reinforcing community of faith. Get focused on the message and the reality of Jesus Christ. And you, if you don't do this, The world will chew you up and spit you out. If you do this, if you find this, then what will happen is you will become courageous. You will become strong. You will find purpose and meaning and value and love and connectivity and community in your life. Now I know politically too, some people are discouraged. Uh, The politics in America are extremely divisive right now and you should rightfully be concerned, but don't be discouraged. I'm going to tell everybody today what, what happened in 2016. 2016, Donald Trump was elected to the office of president. Many of my Democratic friends and people in the church who, who are lean on that Democratic side were very discouraged. <laughs> Here is what I told them. And I think it's applicable to everybody who's conservative today or, or Republican on the other side. And that is this. Elections are like sporting events. Each side... Fields their best team fights like crazy to win someone wins and someone loses just because your team lost even if you believe it was to a bad call it doesn't mean your life is over your life is not over because your team lost if you're a little discouraged that's fine but if you're crushed and you don't know what to do then you've put too much of your hope in material or worldly things. Your political choice could win, Congress could pass all of the things you think it should, and in the end, this will not validate or affirm your value as a human being. Hmm. To get everything you want politically will not quench the thirst of your soul. Only Jesus can do that. The only way to affirm yourself, find value in your life is through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what Paul was telling the Galatians. So trust the Lord. Look back. Our founding fathers set up a form of government. This form of government is a tool. It was built. These tools were built out of the materials of Christian virtue. Another way to say it is it grew out of the soil of Christian virtues. Therefore, see if the system they put in place actually works. And the system they created, and they talk about this in the Federalist Papers, was we want a system that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> we want gridlock. We want the government to not be able to do anything. We want that. Right. Because we want a limited Government. We want to limit the influence of the government. And so, politically, what I would say is during this time, if you find yourself discouraged, exactly what I told people on the other side in uh, 2016, is just trust and see if the system they put in place actually works. And then, second of all, is do the work of convincing and bringing people back to an authentic, definition of what it means to be a human being um in in church circles we use christian language christianese and so we say a biblical worldview right but people are like okay what is that now my mom and my mom is going to listen to that i love my mama she's awesome And my mama has been in the church since she was a little child and she went to Bob Jones university and graduated from there. She worked for Kansas city youth for Christ for years. Uh, she has been steeped in the church. She was a worship leader in the church growing up, you know, and I see that saw my mom always leading um, music or leading worship. And so anyway, long and short of it is my mom has been in church her whole life. And so now my mom is 89 years old. And about three weeks ago, she said, you know, it's interesting. You were talking about a biblical worldview and then you explained it. And she said, you know, son, I have heard that my whole life and I never knew what it meant. (laughs) So thank you for finally explaining that to me. And I go, see, when we use Christianese, uh, we use it to, uh, well, technically to streamline causal distinctions in order to make statement short but in that we lose the meaning right. and what we're really talking about here is a definition of reality what is a human being and are you one and so what i would say is that this is why doing the hard work of knowing what you believe and why you believe right now will be the best thing you will ever do in your life
0: mm. well that gives us a lot to think about going into <laughs> sunday <laughs> um, I just that appre- was pretty salty. Yeah, I appreciate, like, you were salty, but I think the important thing is that we, we focus on, especially the stuff you're talking about at the end, it's like, yeah, we need to be aware of what's going on, but we don't need to be discouraged or crushed over it because ultimately we need to have faith that things are going to work out the way that God has planned, and mm-hmm. we need to have faith in our Father in Heaven, not in what's happening here on the planet. So Yes, yes. Um, so I appreciate that. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Make sure you tune in on Sunday. Pastor Doug's going to be kind of doing the third part of the Salty Pastor Experience, which is preaching the sermon on Sunday um, and the tie up this whole portion um, that we're studying in Galatians. We just appreciate you guys joining us. Make sure you like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Leave us a review if you're on uh, Apple Podcasts. Otherwise, we will see you on Sunday here at Foothills Christian Church. <laughs>
1: Blessings, everyone.